2: to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. A very special episode because it's not dropping at the time when you would expect it to drop. It's dropping early because we have news. We have things to talk about. And in lieu of the much more handsome Anthony Marino giving you the breaking Buffalo Rumblings episode about... Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager, signing a contract extension. Instead, you get me talking about that, along with the normal stuff we talk about on Fridays. This is the Thursday night slash Friday podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. So let's get right into it, because we have a ton of stuff to talk about. And quite frankly, I really don't want this pod to be super long, because my wife's out of town this weekend, and... I would like to kind of, I don't know, sit in my misery for a while. I don't know why I'm so excited to get this pod done. I'm just going to sit out there and be depressed because I miss my wife. So I'm not entirely sure why I'm in such a hurry. I do have a big old pot of chicken tortilla soup to eat this weekend, so that'll be fun. But we're going to get into something very, very exciting, something that is enough to get my juices Flowing to get the engine revving. And that is that Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean has signed a contract extension per John Warro of the Associated Press and other reports. It matches Sean McDermott's extension through 2025. We all kind of assumed that this was going to happen at some point, but it feels good to have it actually done and have some organizational stability in this franchise That's a pretty good feeling. The idea for Bills fans that they could have the same quarterback, same GM, and same head coach until 2025 or longer, that type of stability is something that this franchise has been lacking since the turn of the millennium. And Bills fans are having an opportunity to see it now. And that's very exciting. Brandon Bean gets the opportunity and has earned the opportunity to see this franchise through to the next phase of its building. Let's talk through Brandon Bean's stages, right? He gets here. The teardown happens. You trade away players for assets, but you get back temporary players to fill that hole. Brandon Beat says, I want to win now and I want to win in the future, which is a bold, bold statement. The idea that we're not going to tank even when people think the bills are tanking and they go out and make the playoffs in a year when there was a discussion about whether or not they were tanking. That's extremely difficult to do. Then it became take your medicine Monday and Brandon Bean had to make some tough choices, took a lot of dead cap into 2018, but use the capital he had a- obtained in 2017 to trade up along with the pick that Sean McDermott had acquired him by trading down with the chiefs to trade up and get Josh Allen. Okay. We think we have our guy. Now let's start building around the guy. 2018 offseason, lots of offensive linemen, Cole Beasley, John Brown. This season, it was let's put the finishing touches on this offense. Let's get a alpha number one wide receiver. Let's trade for Stephon Diggs. There was building. There was a plan. Now, the challenge for Brandon Bean moving forward is different. And we've talked about this on this podcast in the past. The time for aggressive trading up is probably past because now we're starting to have to pay these really good players that you drafted. Deion Dawkins got paid. Tredavious White got paid. Josh Allen might get paid. When you have to start paying these people, you need more picks. So the next phase for Brandon Bean is draft well and draft a lot. This is where the Eagles fell flat. When you do not draft well, the foundational part of your franchise will crumble beneath you, even if you've got the guy. He can help limp along for a while if he's the guy at quarterback. But if you do not draft well, it is very difficult to sustain success in this league. Brandon Bean has had some draft picks that have done pretty well. The next phase is... Being able to recognize the comp formula for compensatory picks. Maybe trade down this time around. But he's earned the right through his first phase and the building to see us through as a franchise to the next phase, which is sustaining. Sean McDermott said that he couldn't imagine working with another GM aside from Brandon Bean. Well, he's probably not going to have to now until at least 2025. And that sort of stability feels good, especially for a franchise and a fan base that have been clamoring for it for so long. Congratulations to Brandon Bean. I think it's an appropriate move for the franchise. I understand that there are going to be challenges that come along with sustaining success. From a player personnel standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from a front office standpoint, Bills are going to lose good players, they're going to lose good coaches. They're going to lose good front office members. That's what sustained success gets you. Losses on three levels of your organization. You're going to lose good players. It's going to happen. You can't keep everybody. You're going to lose good coaches. We've been talking about Brian Dable for a long time. It'll be a big topic this offseason. You're going to lose good front office members. Brandon Bean's going to lose some of his right and left-hand men at some point. If the bills continue to show success, the ability to sustain is the ability to replace talented people with talented people. And that's really what Brandon Bean's job is about. It's about being able to identify and acquire talented human beings. Thus far, he has done a good job. He has earned the right to show he can continue to do it as the bills try to sustain success. Stick with me. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We are going to do your almighty takes.
0: We are going to do crumbling the cookies still yet to come. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI.
2: Welcome back everybody and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce exclusive Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. We're going to dive into the almighty takes. I have a lot of them. We're going to try to get through as many as humanly possible. If I miss one, I apologize. But the San Francisco 49ers victory has Bill's Mafia excited, and they decided to manifest their excitement by sending Bruce some emails. As a reminder, you can email me, IamBruceAlmighty at Yahoo.com, with your almighty takes of the week, and we will try to get to them on this podcast. We're going to start with Matthew. Matthew says, hey, Bruce, here's my almighty take for the week. Allen throws at least two touchdowns to take the franchise season record in primetime. We use a game plan like the Chiefs game to force Pittsburgh to run the ball since they lack a strong run game and we're better at stopping passes. Allen is able to make plays on the Steelers secondary since they're getting banged up, but our run game doesn't get going. This makes for a close, low-scoring game, but still exciting to watch. One question for you. You've made it very clear you want permanent white face masks. How would you feel about the classic red helmets making a comeback? Let's start with the most important take here, and that's the helmet take. I'm cool with the red helmets. The NFL has an issue with multiple types of helmets. I wish they didn't, but I'm cool with the red helmets as long as they come with white face masks. I'm good with it. I actually prefer the whites to the reds. I know that some people are going to think that's absolutely blasphemous, but I prefer the whites to the reds as long as they have white face masks. I'm good. In regards to the take, Allen throwing two touchdowns seems completely reasonable to me. I think that there's a chance this might be a little bit of a more run inquiry sort of game. We're going to talk about it a little bit when we do crumbling the cookies. But I think there's a possibility that the Bills feel out the run game fairly early in this particular game due to some circumstances with the Steelers. And they are getting some, they are getting banged up, like you said. So I can see this being a close game. I can see it being a fairly low scoring game. I can see it being, well, I mean, low scoring for 2020 standards. I can see both teams scoring in the low 20s. I can see a 24 to 21 game against the Steelers. So I'm going to say this is somewhat probable take. Christopher says, listening to your Thursday podcast discussion on Levi Wallace and judging cornerback play. Should there be a way of giving credit in a CB grade for every pass play where the cornerback is not targeted? Obviously, you can never know when the quarterback didn't target them because it wasn't in the play design versus when it was because their coverage was good. But if it wasn't in the play design and their coverage wasn't great, then maybe they got lucky. Maybe they read the play well and played their man loose just to be in position for what else might happen, in which case they're actually playing smart football. What do you think? I don't know if there's necessarily a way to quantify that. You just got to watch the film. And so let's talk about this a little bit. It is impossible for everyday fans to watch every single snap of every player of every game. I know that because it's almost impossible for professionals to do it. It's not possible for me to do it, and I'm a hobbyist. I can pick a couple plays. I can pick a couple players. I can pick a section of the game. But I cannot watch every snap from every player of every game in the week. Now, I can in the offseason. In the offseason, I can go back and get caught up and spend a day on Ike Butker, and a day on Josh Allen. And I can do that stuff in the offseason because I don't have constantly new information being thrown at me over the course of the week where I have to accommodate for it. And I can pre-record out my podcast if necessary and do topics that aren't necessarily required to be sequential. You don't have to have them in a specific chronology in order for them to make sense. But certain things simply can't be quantified. Cornerback play is one of those things. It's almost entirely subjective because there aren't really good statistics for a cornerback that are all-encompassing. Now, there are some that matter. We talked about some yesterday. It matters. But as we've talked about, if you're a really good cornerback and you don't get targeted at all, or if you're a really bad cornerback and you don't get targeted at all, how are you going to know the difference? It's a little bit like playing wide receiver, but the inverse. If you're a really good wide receiver and you're open all the time and they don't throw you the ball... How are you going to know? It's the same thing with cornerback play. And so at some point, you have to find some people who you trust, who watch the film, who you value their opinion to get that stuff from. Because there isn't really a good way of giving credit to a corner where they are doing their job well and they're playing their position well, but there's not something that can be translated to a quantifiable measure or a grade. And I know that's not a great answer, but not everything can be measured. We talk about culture all the time on this podcast and how I believe culture is a real thing. Can't measure that either. And I love metrics. You guys know this about me. I love metrics, but I recognize that they they can't tell the entire story. They can tell some of the story, but you need film. You got to have film to provide context to some of these things. And It's important that you know what you're looking at when you do it. And that's its own scenario. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the same play back and forth and gone, what is this coverage? And I'll be stuck on this coverage for like 20 minutes going, I'm not leaving this play until I know what this coverage is. I'm just not doing it. I refuse because something got foobarred and it doesn't look exactly the way it's supposed to look. And so it kind of throws off my eyes. Because when I see a cover six call, I'm expecting it to look a certain way and then it doesn't look that way. And so I don't immediately recognize it as being cover six. And I send a message to somebody else going, please help me. What is this? And then they might message me back going, I don't know what that is. Or they'll message me back going, somebody blew a coverage. I hate it when people blow coverages because it messes me up (laughs) because it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. But I say all that to say that there just isn't a good way to do it. You have to learn to watch it yourself. Or you have to find somebody you trust and have them watch it. I understand that's not a great answer, but it's the best one I've got. Evan says, here's my almighty take. As a Pittsburgh resident, I've seen a bunch of Steelers games and they are paper tigers. I see the Bills winning. How close the game is depends on the weather. It's a low wind evening then it's not particularly close. That's a bold take. I'm going to go somewhat improbable because I think the Steelers defense is really good. And I'm concerned about the Steelers' defense. Now, they do have some injuries there that I think open up an opportunity for the Buffalo Bills. But the Steelers' defense is enough to keep them in here. He's going with a parlay, though. Evan says, but wait, there's more. My parlay is literally a parlay. And the Bills will clinch a playoff spot this week. They'll beat Pittsburgh. Baltimore will lose to Cleveland. Miami will lose to Kansas City. Las Vegas will lose to Indianapolis. And New England will lose or tie against the Rams. Well, we're going to know that in a little bit because I'm recording this pod right before New England and Los Angeles play. So we're going to know that in a little bit. Also, this gentleman did not want me to say their real name on air, which is why I said Evan. Get it? Evan? Yeah. You guys see where I'm going with this. You like jazz, Evan? Anyway, moving along. Alan says, I heard your pod where you had your wife on as a guest, and she told her story about how and when she became a Bills fan. This is my story. I'm going to tell this because this is awesome. I was born and raised in Mexico City. In Mexico, the NFL is extremely popular. It was popular since the 70s, and it sure was popular in the 90s when I was a young kid. The cool thing about not growing up in the United States sports-wise is that at a certain age, you just get to pick a team to root for, be it NFL, MLB, or NBA. You can root for the Yankees and the Celtics at the same time. It's completely normal. When I was old enough to understand football, my older brothers used to play Tecmo Bowl on their Nintendo all the time. And when they let me play... I somehow always picked the team with the blue, red, white logo, and that always seemed to be at the top of the choosing order. By then, without me knowing, the Bills had already played and lost in two Super Bowls. So my love of the game and my fandom for a team started to grow slowly and steadily, so steady that I'm typing this email to an unknown and obscure Bills podcaster that lives somewhere near or in Cleveland, Ohio. My almighty take for the Steelers game is the Bills will win it. On a bass field goal. P.S. There's a Billy Joel song that sings before the mafia took over Mexico. When the Bills get to play in Mexico City, I hope the mafia takes over Mexico. I enjoy listening. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate that. I love your story. I've told my story on this podcast before, but I counted up all my football cards, and I had the most Bills cards. That was how I became a Bills fan. Literal, literal, random chance. Just a luck of the draw. Sorry about that, folks. You're stuck with me now. It's been a long time since that day. I was very young, and I am not very young anymore. So the take that the Bills will win it on a Bass field goal, I mentioned earlier that I could see a 24 to 21 win. And if a three-point spread, then I'm going to say this is somewhat probable that the Bills could win it on a Bass field goal. I think that's completely reasonable. Trevor says, howdy, Bruce. This is probably too late. It's not too late, but I figured why not try it? The almighty take. The Bills have a game where the stats may not be outstanding, but the job gets done. I like Pittsburgh's defense to continue to hamper our running game. However, I think our defense is able to match up with theirs. As we continue to get healthier, the team's overall ceiling is raised. Last week, for me anyway, proved that Josh Allen has officially arrived as a slowdown but can't stop quarterback, at least overall in his career. He was effective against the zone, which was his final hurdle. The Bills win a nail-biter. I can see all these things happening. I'm going to go somewhat probable. On this, stats may not be outstanding, but the job gets done. Could be a little uglier than potentially we're used to seeing due to potentially some weather, plus Pittsburgh. Could be a slobber knocker, as they say. I'm going to say somewhat probable. John says, Noly B. That's right. This guy listens to the Bruce exclusive. He knows Noly B. Noly B. My almighty take is Josh Allen starts slow, but turns it around in the second half to lead the Bills to victory, breaking the trend of starting slow and staying cold. That's unusual. I hadn't thought about this before. I'm going to go somewhat improbable. And the reason I'm going to go with somewhat improbable is because I trust this staff to do a good enough job of being able to not be confused early by whatever the Pittsburgh Steelers are rolling out. When you have a team where you're not really sure what you're going to see from them, you might come out with one idea and you might be slow to adjust on the offensive side of the board. And we haven't seen that thus far from Josh Allen this year where he started really badly, really, really badly, and he kind of turned it on at the end. So because of it, I'm going to go somewhat improbable with this one. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. That's why I said somewhat improbable because the Pittsburgh defense is a a good unit. But I trust the coaching staff to get them off to the correct start. Christopher says, greetings, Robert the Bruce. With that new title, I feel like I and any other of your Scotland-based listeners should be swearing fealty to the Bruce exclusive and Buffalo rumblings before entering my almighty take. I will allow it. I will allow that. As that's not yet a requirement, though, I'm going to jump straight in. With the Steelers coming off their first loss of the season, I think that the first two possessions of the game are going to be the most important. If the Steelers score a touchdown on their first offensive drive and their defense holds the Bills to a field goal or less, I think their confidence comes rushing back and they go on to show they deserve to be 11-1 and last week was a fluke. Conversely, if the Bills score and hold the Steelers, it rocks their confidence even further, allowing the Bills to earn a win much more easily than expected. If the first two drives don't end in one team scoring a touchdown and the other being held, I think that whichever team looks best early wins a close, tense game determined by key defensive and special teams play. This take might not be particularly almighty, but I think that starting strong will be important this week as in any of the previous games this season. This is sort of the opposite take from the one before that said Josh Allen would start off slow but then come back. I agree with you. I think whoever gets off to the best start is probably going to win this game. And that's been very, very true for the Bills so far this year. Getting off to a good start has been important. The Jets game comes to mind as one that didn't start out that way. The Jets kind of jumped out on the Bills, and the Bills kind of chipped away at it, chipped away at it, chipped away at three points at a time moving forward. But aside from that, it's kind of been a hot start, Bills. And I would expect that to continue, so I'm going to go somewhat probable on this. Mike says, hey, Bruce, I really love the podcast. I appreciate how you break things down. You do it like no other. I appreciate that, Mike. It means a lot to me. Getting right to it. My almighty take is this. The Bills offense, full of confidence after their Monday night football win, comes out guns a-blazin' against a tired and depleted Steelers defense. They score touchdowns on their first two possessions, jump out to a quick lead against a stunned visiting team. Pittsburgh adjusts in the second half and makes a game of it, but the Bills end a close one-score game in the fourth quarter by finally putting together the salt-away drive using both motor and moss that we've been waiting for all season. The drive ends in victory formation with no opportunity for a Hail Mary-type play, and the Bills move to 10-3. and Somewhat probable, Mike. One score game, Bill's getting a hot start. That seems reasonable to me. Somewhat probable, I think, based on qualitatively how the game could look. David says, I'm assuming that Allen is now showing an ability to handle different defenses at a high level. Yes, small sample size, but I don't want to wait a year to send in this take. There can be development curves in development curves. If we agree that Allen is a top-tier quarterback... There has to be things that a top-tier quarterback needs to develop that you can't start developing until you get to that level of play. Allen is very unlikely to take another step of the magnitude of his last ones because a step like his previous ones would make him significantly better than any quarterback who has ever played. But neither is he finished. It seems reasonably probable that he has the things to lean on that can further move him up the ladder toward best quarterback in the league status. We talked about one of those yesterday, actually. We talked about how nitpicky you can start to get with a quarterback, when he's gotten so far in his development. Specifically, we talked about rolling to his left. The ability to roll to his left and make throws that direction. That's something I'm keeping an eye out for Josh Allen. That's an extremely nitpicky thing. I recognize that. But it's nitpicky because of how far he's come. If he continues this level of play. Now, there's a chance that there's a new book on Josh Allen at some point. I can't think of what it would be at this point. He's seen all of the basic defenses that you can see. So I don't know what it would be at this point, but I'm not a defensive coordinator in the NFL either. So if I see something that continually gives him trouble, then sure, that's now the new book on Josh Allen. But until then, if that never happens, we can afford to get a little nitpicky. Specific things with his eyes. Specific things with knowing where players are spatially. Things like rolling to your left. Yeah, I'm good with it. I think this is somewhat probable take. Liam. Liam famously almost exactly identified the final score to the Bills 49ers game. I tweeted it out. I said, dude, you guys, you got to look at this guy's take in my DMs. It was all over the people. Prophetic Liam. He's back. He says, so seeing how my last take was really close, let's ride off that energy. We are clicking on all sides of the ball, and it's beautiful. You know what else is beautiful? 13 and 3. There was uh, <laughs> there were bad words in there I'm not going to say on the podcast. The game I watched yesterday, the team we all watched win. No slaughter. The 49ers could win every single game we have left. I could argue that the Buffalo Bills are the best in the AFC. The game we played was the type of game you only see from really, really good teams. Josh Allen is shredding great defenses every single time he's doubted. So there you have it. Our Buffalo Bills will go 13-3 and and make it to the damn AFC Championship game. I can't do it, guys. I just can't. I'm sorry. I'm not there yet. I just, you know, winning out is possible. I, can, I don't think it's insane to win out. I just can't predict it. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable. Not highly improbable somewhat improbable because the bills might not even have anything to play for week 17. They might be resting their players. If they do, they might drop one of the Miami dolphins the way they dropped one of the New York jets last year. You never know. Tim says, Hey Bruce, I hope all is well. And I want to say, I absolutely love the pod. I literally cannot function on the day the pod drops until I listen to it. Tim. Thank you so much. My almighty take is Sean McDermott and the Buffalo bills have and are creatures of habit. With the upcoming December schedule, we will see the Bills drop one, maybe two games they should win. This, of course, will be blamed on the lack of standard routine. They are not in. However, this will get us prepared for the scheduling of the playoffs, and we will make a healthy run in the postseason. I really hope this makes the takes. Go Bills. Tim, thank you for this. The Bills were able to win a primetime game Monday night, and I think that's important. Being able to get out of your routine matters. And I appreciate the fact that you said that Sean McDermott and Buffalo Bills have and are creatures of habit. They are. McDermott has admitted as much. He likes the habit. He likes the routine. He thinks that repetition, repetition, repetition is how you get better at stuff. Even if it's preparing. Preparation is a talent. Preparation is a skill. And the way you get better at things is to do them over and over and over again. So I 100% agree That Sean McDermott probably hates primetime games, just like me. That's right. I'm not a primetime game guy. I'm old. I want to eat my grape nuts, have my cranberry juice, and go to bed at a reasonable time. It's probably already getting close to my bedtime by the time you're listening to this. If you're listening to it on Thursday night. If you're listening to it on Friday morning, probably not. But I agree with this. And I do think that there's a chance the Bills drop one. I think the Bills could drop one of the Steelers. I think the Bills could drop one of the Dolphins. It's possible. The Bills were able to beat the Dolphins the first time, but it wasn't a blowout by any means. It's not unreasonable. I think the Bills have a reasonable chance of beating every team they see for the rest of the year. I do. But it's not unreasonable to think they could drop one or two. I'm going to say this is somewhat probable. Aaron says, not exactly a take, but if you think it's worth categorizing as such, by all means, include it for the next almighty takes. This is a little bit long, but we're going to get into it. I had to shorten it a little bit, Aaron, so if I cut off a meaningful part of the take, I apologize, but I tried to kind of compress it as best I could for the purposes of air timing. Aaron's take is, it may seem nitpicky for all the reasons mentioned across numerous platforms and pods, but I think we can get on Josh Allen for that fumble against the Chargers. What I think we can get on Josh Allen for is not his gamer mentality or hero bar mentality, but his situational awareness and when to flip the switch. I think the longer-term development issue with Josh is not to impress upon him when to be cautious, but rather when hero ball is needed and when it's not. It might have been on an earlier pod, but I heard it mentioned that Josh played a lot of hero ball his rookie year because the rest of the offense just didn't have the talent where Josh didn't need to play hero ball. Similarly, in the Texans game last year, we saw hero ball Josh appear because the offense simply lacked the offensive talent necessary to make the plays that were needed. Hero ball Josh appearances are a function of the offensive talent around Josh, but it's important to remember it's ultimately a function of Josh's awareness of the broader situation. I maintain the Bills should, or continue to, emphasize IDing the most likely positive play that can result in positive plays, yardage, etc., and doing so requires nitpicking Josh's play. Hero ball Josh used to take off and run during his rookie year because that was often the only chance at a positive play. Does Josh take off and run after getting the snap now? No. So while the concerns about coaching out the hero ball, the moxie, we must be careful not to overstate what coaching Josh to reign in hero ball Josh will result in. Tom Brady didn't terrorize the AFC East with either his legs or his arm and rookie Tom Brady was not the same as peak Brady. Okay, so I don't think you do. That's my big take in response to this. I don't think you ever coach it completely out of Josh Allen. The idea that he's never going to make a mistake when it comes to when to flip the switch, it's never going to happen. Ideally, would you like to minimize it? Sure, you want to minimize it as best as you can. But Brett Favre was in his 40s and still had these moments. That's just part of Josh Allen. In addition, sometimes he's going to make this play and it's not going to be an advisable play and it's going to work out because of extreme physical characteristics. So I don't think you ever coach it out of him. So when the situation is try to pick up the ball, I'm going to accept it. I'm probably not going to try to coach out the try to pick up the ball out of Josh Allen. I understand you mentioned earlier that it was different in the Dallas game last year when he tried to pick up the snap. I get it. It is different. But in that split second moment, you can't teach Josh that. In that split second moment, he has less than a quarter of a second to make the call as to what he's going to do. It's instinct at that point. I don't think it can be done. I don't think you coach it out of him. I'm not entirely sure you want to. Because if, if it takes you a quarter of a second to make that call, it's not really a decision. It's an instinct. And so in order to coach it out of him entirely, as far as when to hit flip the switch and when to not, if you make him think about when or not I'm going to flip the switch and you make him think that, In a time frame that's so small, this is not the same as sitting in the pocket and making a call on a throw, where you've got time. This is a split-second decision, and in split-second decisions, Josh is going to lean that direction. I just don't think it's possible to be able to coach it entirely out of him when given a split-second call. Now, if he's got time in the pocket, and he's freaking out because... He doesn't see what he's looking at, but he had time to read a coverage. That's different. I don't think all versions of hero ball Josh are created equal. I think that split second got to make an aggression decision, Josh, is just that. And if you try to coach that part out of him, if you try and say, hey, you know, you need to think about this before you do it, then you're literally coaching out an instinct from him at that point. And we don't want to coach out the instinct. We do want him to be more adept at making sure he can properly identify risk, but that takes time. That takes physical time to make decisions. When there are split seconds and every second matters and you don't have a full 1,001, 1,002 to make a call, then in that case, it's just an instinct. I just don't think it comes out of him at all. Donald Duffy says, my almighty take for next week's game versus Steelers is this. Josh Allen will throw for 300 plus and rush for 75 plus and combine four touchdowns. Defense will intercept Big Ben two times. Bills win 38-28. I'm going to go highly improbable. I don't know Josh Allen running for 75 yards and throwing for 300. I don't know if that's much of a thing anymore. As Josh Allen gets better as a passer, I think we see the total yards come down for his legs. Because the most efficient way of moving the ball down the field is not for a quarterback to run it. It's for a quarterback to throw it. It gets there faster. Minimizes damage to the quarterback. Minimizes fatigue to the quarterback. So if you have the option of passing at 20 yards or rushing at 20 yards, you should pass at 20 yards. It gets there faster. You're getting in the hand of a more dynamic player. Almost every receiver on the Bills team is more dynamic, faster than Josh Allen, who's a good athlete for the quarterback position, but he's not Stephon Diggs. He's not John Brown. He's not Cole Beasley. So you're getting it in the hand of a dynamic athlete. You're minimizing damage to yourself, and it's getting there faster. So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of games that are 75-plus yards rushing for Josh Allen. Now, of course, I could say that he could come out and rush for 100 yards, and I look like an idiot. But that's cool. I'm fine looking like an idiot. But I'm going to say highly improbable, mostly because of the 75-plus rushing yards. Adam could just be riding high from the San Francisco win, but I have an almighty take for next week. Bills will win by one score next week and the combined score of both teams will be under 50. Bills will be losing at the half but make good adjustments on offensive and defense and will eat Pittsburgh o in the second half. One-score game, under 50. I said potentially 24-21. This is somewhat probable. I do think that the faster start wins, so I think if the Bills end up winning, I think it'll probably be because they let it half. But aside from that, I think this is somewhat probable. We are going to take a second break. We are going to come back and we are gonna crumble the cookies of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Stick with me. We'll be right back.
1: Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that T-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this
2: edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back to Crumbling the Cookies. We are going to quick talk about some high-level strategy things that I think could assist the Buffalo Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday evening. First point, maybe this is a running game. Get it? Running game? Running game? Yeah. Ah, Running game game. I have a general opinion, you know this, that I've shared with you guys in the past. This should be a pass first team, barring uncommon circumstances that could pop up a few times per year. Extreme circumstances, I've referred to them in the past. The New England game, 40 mile an hour wins, Patriot defense that's consistently lining up six defensive backs, regardless of offensive grouping. Okay, by all means, run the ball, be a run first team. I was disparaging a little bit of the Chargers game plan because I didn't see extreme circumstances that necessitated the Bills departing from what they do best. There may be some extreme circumstances against the Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers placed inside linebacker Vince Williams on the COVID-19 reserve list on Thursday, a couple hours before I recorded this podcast. Linebacker Robert Spillane is already out with a knee injury. They have one true inside linebacker on their roster, Avery Williamson. This is an uncommon occurrence. This is extreme. The Steelers defense has been very good this year, but if there's a weakness, even if it's temporary, you need to try it. Some early runs to test out the porousness of that defense with the inside linebackers might be in store. And if it works, keep doing it. RPOs play action. Let's test that inside linebacker depth make sure that the Bills are taking advantage of a small window of weakness in the armor of the formidable Pittsburgh Steelers defense. The second thing, specifically in regards to the Bills defense against the Pittsburgh offense, click, click, boom. Ben Roethlisberger has not averaged over six yards per attempt in a game for the last month. His average intended air yards per attempt sits at seven, which is the eighth lowest in the NFL. But he throws 20 plus yards down the field on 12.4% of attempts. That's higher than noted anti-checkdown guy, Josh Allen. That seems like it conflicts, but it doesn't. What it means is that the Steelers offense is click, click, boom. Lots of short passes built in that drag down the average depth of target. But about five times a game, they'll take a shot. Thus far, it hasn't been met with great success. Roethlisberger has a passer rating of 77.4 on passes over 20 yards. But when you have weapons like Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Chase Claypool, who's been excellent for them, and you're playing against a secondary that doesn't have great speed with the Bills, you have to account for it. I'd love to see a splash of single high looks that roll to cover two. If you see single high at the snap, you might think, hey, let's take a shot here. Roll to cover two after the snap. So you encourage a shot into covers that has safety help. But also cover two will provide you with the bodies necessary to keep the short passes compressed. Encourage Ben to make the type of throws that he doesn't want to make. Encourage him to make seam throws in the intermediate parts of the field. Drive the ball into intermediate coverage because the Steelers' offense doesn't like to do it. Also, if he has to hold that and be patient against cover two, and it brings pressure, his passer rating drops to 71.9. You can get pressure against Ben, but that doesn't necessarily mean you want to blitz him. When he's blitzed, the passer rating is over 100. So you want to get pressure, but you don't necessarily want to blitz him. And how do you do that? You make him hold the ball. How do you make him hold the ball? Maybe you can rush in four. You're playing soft. You're keeping compression. You're making him throw intermediate routes that drive and take a little bit longer to develop. Things like drags, deeper seams to Eric Ebron, who has historically had some catching problems. I think there's a method by which the Bills can capitalize on the Pittsburgh Steelers offense that I have affectionately named Click Click Boom after studying them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Forty minutes, we pulled it off. Brandon Bean extended. Takes have been almightyed. Cookies have been crumbled. And I'm out because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, and this is.